Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Walking up. Multi-talented. Praise the Lord. Takes uh, sacrifice, money, time, a lot, of, a lot of stuff to make a trip like that. A lot of, a lot of faith and blessing. And you may have heard some of the folks got sick, but praise God they're on the men, but that's part of the price. Uh, Scripture says, fight the good fight of faith, uh, suffer hardship as a good soldier. Christ, when we, we try to live out the faith, sometimes we take some hits, but uh, it says we're blessed. We do it, do it in his name. As uh, Betsy mentioned earlier, Randy's uh, preached the last couple Sundays on this series of overwhelm. Two weeks ago, he we talked about how hectic life can be, and sometimes we bring it upon ourselves because we're going too, at too fast of a pace. We need to slow down. Bring, bring it down, and that was a good word. I really spoke to me. I, I'm up here in front most of the time after the service. So many people came forward and said that that message spoke to them right where they were at, and uh, we had a lot of good times of prayer up here. Last week, I was actually uh, up in Ohio. I wasn't here, but uh, I watched the video and took notes on the message last week about love, that uh, love is the greatest. Love, love is the motive. Love is what it's all about. And that's, uh, you know, verified in Scripture, particularly 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter. It's all about love. Because if love's not the motive, if love's not the reason we're doing it, then it's all vanity. It really doesn't have the impact. It's not being done in the Spirit of God, and it's not going to have the fruit. So love is really, really core in all that we do. Uh, this week, we're going to look at the, the work environment and uh, difference that makes. And if you think about it, if we're working 8, 10, 12 plus hours a day, you know, at, at something, and depending how that something is going, that's going to have influence on our attitudes and our, our satisfaction in life. I know a gentleman named Bud who's retired from the industrial air conditioning business, and he used to say to me, oh, I only ask my men to work half a day. 12 hours, that's half a day. <laughs> get the impression Bud, Bud drove his workers pretty, pretty hard, but he was successful because he had a, a high, high work ethic. How about you? How about uh, your job? You ever get frustrated on the job? You ever feel overwhelmed in, in what you're doing? Um, you know that some folks are struggling just to find help. Some people are taking jobs they really don't want, they really don't feel qualified for, maybe overqualified for, but they, they just need work, and that's, that's a challenge. And some people can't find work for whatever reason. So there's probably a variety of folks out there with different experiences this morning. But generally speaking, most people, most of us will experience some frustration, feel occasionally overwhelmed on the job. You know, research bears that out. 1970s, I was a front-end and brake mechanic for Firestone Tire. And uh, I worked through an apprenticeship, and I was making good money. For I was only 20 years old. I was making as much money as our master mechanic, who was like 40 years old, and had a family with three or four kids, so you know I was living at home, so I was you know I was rolling in, but I was frustrated as all get out. Has anybody here ever done a wheel alignment on a 1970s full-size Chrysler? One person know what that's about, especially adjusting the camber. You know what I mean? You haven't done that, have you? Well, it's like frustration on a stick. One of the most poorly designed wasn't as designed as poorly as how they manufacture it in the in inferior materials they used that caused a great deal of frustration in that job. But I took it real personal. I, was, I went through a lot of depression in my youth and young adulthood. I was not a believer in Jesus Christ, so I got frustrated very easily. I didn't do, deal with it very well. 
I sometimes would say bad words or kick a tire or throw a tool or something. I'm not proud about that, but that was kind of where I was at. Eventually, I got so frustrated and angry at, at the job, I, I quit. I left uh, Firestone, went on to other things. And it was, you know, it was kind of a negative experience. Even though the money was good, it was, it was negative. And then later, let me jump ahead about uh, 20 years in the 1990s. I was a believer of Jesus Christ for, oh, about 10, 15 years or more. And uh, worked for the Department of Mental Health as a case manager. I had a caseload of people I had to oversee, make sure all their, all their needs were met. And uh, that had frustration too, because I thought I was there to help people. And yet the documentation we were required to do, some of you know that if you have a government job, the, the, the amount of documentation, treatment notes, uh, managing charts, keeping everything together was overwhelming. You know, I could spend, I could spend more time doing paperwork than actually helping people and be a good employee because all my treatment notes were organized and properly written and they're in the right place in the chart. You, you know what that's about. You know the bureaucracy sometimes we deal with. And, and it was very frustrating. But instead of starting throwing things and saying bad words, I'd put my head down on my desk and I'd pray. And I'd pray something along the lines of what David prayed in Psalm 61. Lord, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I love the imagery of that passage because it's like getting tossed around in the surf. You're, you're just offshore and you can't get your feet down and the sea is rough and you need something solid to get up on. You need, you need a strong place to stand. And that's what the Lord said he's, he is for us. Elsewhere in Scripture says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. That's what God does. And I say those prayers and I persevere and I get the grace. I also found out those nurses that worked in mental health, they knew how to write treatment notes. I found out rather than being Charlie Brown with my tongue out and printing these things, you can, you can write them. You don't have to print them. And there's little, little symbols you can use to shorten things up. So working smarter also helped out a lot. And I, you know, I worked in that job you know, almost three years until I got called into full-time ministry. And it was, it was a good experience. I have fond memories of both the people I worked with, the clients that we, we cared for. I have, I have a lot of fond memories. And they even, they even gave me a plaque when, when I left there. And I was quite honored. You know, Firestone didn't give me a plaque, folks. I'm still, I'm still a little sore about that, but I think I'm part of the reason they didn't. I took responsibility. But what, what about you? You have satisfaction on your job. How do you deal with the frustration and that sense when you feel overwhelmed, if you encounter that. Uh, ABC News recently reported that more than half of the U.S. employees feel overwhelmed, overworked and or overwhelmed at some times on the job. It's very common. Over half of you probably in here know that experience. National survey released this past year said 70% of employed people say they often dream of a, another job, you know? You think your, your employee is working hard and really concentrating? He's just thinking about working at Disneyland or something, you know, being an astronaut. But, you know, that's very common. And what it tells us, it translates to say, there's, generally speaking, there's a low level of job satisfaction. And again, if we're doing something for hours upon hours in a given day, it's going to affect our attitude. So, you know, frustration is a common experience in the work environment. Some people believe that our work is a curse and they resent it. If you want to follow along in your outline or in your bulletin, there's an outline like this. and We're giving you the blanks as we, we go up here. So that's the first one. Frustration is a common experience in the work environment. Some people believe our work is a curse. They resent having to work. Yet the Bible teaches that God gave us work. It's not the work, but it's 
when sin entered in, that accursed came upon our work. It's a, it's a consequence. Genesis 2.15, we read, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. This is before the fall. This is before anybody rebelled and sinned. God gave Adam meaningful work to do, to tend the garden. And it probably went pretty well. No weeds, no problems, no pesticides, no insects gnawing at the stalks of his plants. Probably a pretty good situation. But we know uh, that just one chapter later, we read that Adam had disobeyed, and there were consequences. And that's in uh, Genesis 3. It says, Since you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. That's where the curse entered in. All of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Later, after Cain and Abel came along and uh, they were working and sweating and being frustrated, you know, Cain and Abel said, Dad, you know, how come we, we can't live in the garden anymore? And Adam, being the man he was and taking responsibility, he says, Well, boys, your mother ate us out of house and home. Right? Now, doesn't Eve get a bad rap? But if you, if you read the account, it wasn't until Adam ate that the curse came. So don't, you know, women out there, don't let people pull it on you. Adam was the one who really messed up, okay? So he deserves the blame for all that. Someday we'll see him in heaven. We can all tell him. Don't you think he gets tired of that? Can you imagine being Adam? Everybody coming into heaven saying, hey, aren't you the guy? What a trip. Anyways, we discover that there's good news. As followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that he removed the curse from us and took it upon himself. Just three weeks ago, we were celebrating Easter. And of course, Good Friday precedes Easter. And at Good Friday, we commemorate what Jesus Christ did for us. We read in Galatians uh, chapter 3 that Christ rescued us from the curse uh, pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Jesus didn't die on the cross for himself. He died on the cross for me, so the curse could be removed from me. Isn't that powerful? So in Christ, those of us who are Christ followers, we're born of God's spirit. It says that now we are free from the curse. The curse of sin has been removed. That's good news. Praise the Lord. It's wonderful news. Romans 8 said there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But if you ask the question, if Jesus removed the curse from us, we're, we're Christ followers. How come we still get frustrated in our work? Okay, I believe you're, you're on planet Earth with me, and there's probably hassles and things that happen in your, your work environment, and wonder, what's the deal? The Bible goes on to say that uh, through Jesus Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. This is all good stuff. How come then I still struggle and still get lose my peace and get aggravated? Well, that's, that's the bad news, okay? The bad news is we are imperfect human beings in a fallen world. We don't always live by faith and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. What is faith? Generally speaking, faith is responding to God's revelation. Take God's truth and, and live it out in my life. And I struggle to do that. Also, there's a whole world through, full of people that I have the same struggle. You think about it, everybody in the world obeyed God's word. We love God and loved each other. You know, the frustration and problem level would really come down quite, quite a bit. But generally speaking, at least in my experience, that's not always the case. The Bible makes a distinction between my position in Jesus Christ 
and my experience, okay? Theologians call this positional righteousness and experiential righteousness. It's, it's no big deal as far as the terms. Uh, Romans 5.1 says, uh, therefore, being justified by faith, I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And being justified is a legal term. It means declared righteous, okay? No guilt, no sin, nothing held against you. You are righteous in Jesus Christ because of him. That's, that's great news. So I have this experiential righteousness with God, but I still struggle in living it out. The experiential righteousness is what I live out, what I understand about who God is, what I understand about who I am as his child, what I understand about the truth of his word and put it into action, what I understand about drawing upon the grace of the Holy Spirit to let him manifest his life. That's, you know, that comes in time. It's not an instantaneous, uh, you know, experience. We have breakthroughs. Some of us have radical, you know, conversion experiences and have, you know, all kinds of good things happen with God, but there's also the growth of maturity in the Christian faith. The apostle Peter, the last things he said in 2 Peter to the believers was, continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Don't stop growing. You realize scripture never calls us the adults of God, never even calls us the adult children of God. My wife and I have two adult children right now, and it's an experience. You have gone through that from the experience of, a, you know, having a the parent of a child, parent of an adolescent, and then the parent of an adult. Right now, our son is with our daughter in Florida, and we're actually kind of enjoying It's kind of nice right now, being, you know, just kind of empty nest, testing the empty nest thing, you know? But, you know, we're never called the adults of God. Our children will come adults. But we do not. We're always his children. We always should be in the process of growing, of learning, and loving our God. Because he is. He is love, and he wants to love us. And that's, that's experiential righteousness, living out what God has put in us. And we're all on that journey. We're all moving forward. And I need to grow in that area. Then the more I do it and exercise you know, my faith based on God's truth, we discover that living according to God's design relieves much of the stress we experience in the work. Would you agree? If we live according to God's design, we can alleviate a lot of the stress. Because sometimes I bring it upon myself. I know that after I became a believer, after I started following Jesus Christ and seeking to do my work for him, my stress level really did come down quite a bit. But it's an ongoing process. It's not, it's not necessarily a quick fix. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, whether you're flying an airplane, whether you're taking out trash, whether you're caring for people in an emergency room, whether you're driving somebody to work or school, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you shall receive a reward. It is the Lord Christ whom I serve. That's where the Protestant work ethic comes, recognizing any legitimate work can be done to God's glory and to do it well. You do your work well. You do it unto the glory of God, no matter what it is. It's a challenge. When I was in seminary, I used to put down little red carpets for airplanes at the uh, Columbia Airport in South Carolina. I, even after I graduated, there was about four or five months period after I graduated, I had a master's degree. I'm working on a counseling license, and I'm putting down little red carpets on business jets. And sometimes these Excuse the expression, young punks coming off these planes, you know, in their 20s probably, and I'm here, now I'm in my 30s, and I'm putting down little carpets for these guys. That's a lot of fun, folks, right? But I knew 
Scripture says, I'm doing it for the Lord. It says, he who wishes to be great among you, what? Will be the servant. He who wishes to be first will be the slave to the rest. So I did it with an attitude. I'm doing this for Jesus. It wasn't fun, but I have a high standing with him. And folks, the, the less we're concerned with our status, you know, the more we understand our position here with God, and the, the less I'm concerned with my status before others, guess what? The more freed up I am to serve, right? I know I'm doing this for God, and he calls me to serve. I don't have to be so worried about my status. How often does status prevent us from doing what God would have us do? And status is just human, folks, just horizontal. What's going on between me and God and what I do with it? That's what, that's what really matters. There's a freedom there. You know, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. It said he knew who he was. He knew where he'd come from. He knew he was going. The king of the universe gets down on his hands and knees and washes smelly human feet. Then he says, love one another as I have loved. He was able to do that. He was free. He knew who he was. He had no problem in serving and taking the role of the menial job that sometimes we're called to do. It's not always fun. One thing I managed to do when I worked at the airport, I did weasel my way out of ever emptying the, the lavatory tank. Lavatory is a nice word for stinky stuff that comes out of the air, airplane bathroom, you know? And somehow I always managed to be somewhere else when that training was going on. Because sometimes, folks, that stuff leaks, and I didn't want to be there. So I, I did, I got to admit, I did weasel my way a little bit in some of those situations. But, you know, we exercise faith, we relieve, we, when we realize that God designed us, and I, I do things his way, life becomes easier. And when my work becomes easier, my whole life becomes better. Okay, so this morning we're just going to look at three things, three ways that we can uh, uh, make our job, uh, you know, better, to improve job satisfaction, some actions we can take. First one is, learn who God has made you to be, and live in accordance with the role he has for you. This comes from... Uh, Psalm 139, powerful passage. This whole, this whole scripture, that whole chapter is great. I'm just going to highlight a portion of it. It says, you knit me together in my mother's womb, making me so wonderfully complex. I think the King James says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You, those of you that are over 50 and beyond like me, we find not only are we wonderfully and fearfully made as we get older, what? We fearfully and wonderfully come apart. Not, not the fun part, but it is part of it, right? It goes on to say, you watched me when I was being formed. I was woven together in the womb before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Isn't that powerful? Not only God designed me and designed you particularly just the way you are, but he also planned the days for you. He already had a plan for your life. Jeremiah said, uh, what does he say? God knows the plans he has for you. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you, okay? They're good plans. And he says, you'll, seek me. you'll find them when you seek me. seek me with all of your heart, the Lord says. I will be fine. God designed you. He assembled you for a specific purpose and role in mind. And, you know, we can discover what that is. I remember I worked with a guy in premarital counseling who was kind of a biker Gentleman, he had, you know, leather jacket and long hair, and he always parked his Harley outside my office. And uh, he wasn't that tough. He just tried to keep this tough appearance. But I was trying to explain to him and his fiance that these biblical concepts. And he always, Steve, his name was, oh, he stared at me, whoa, you know, I was not quite grasping that. So one time I said, Steve, what, you know, do you have a manual for your, your motorcycles? Yeah, man. 
I said, you got a Honda Mania? No way. You got a Kawasaki? No, man, it's a Harley. I said, okay, why do you use the Harley manual? Because they're the ones that put it together. Yeah, and they know how to what? How it's supposed to operate, how it's supposed to maintain. You know, and you know where I'm going with this. Well, guess what? Guess who put you together? Guess who knows how you are to operate? Guess who knows how you are to maintain and have a meaningful, successful life? Right here. Well, that clicked with Steve. Somehow that, he seemed to grasp that. And we, we talked about the concepts, how the two become one, and how the marriage takes on a life of its own. And as we submit ourselves to the, to the marriage life, each of us gets blessed and feels secure. And then how the cord of three strands is not easily broken. And Steve's tracking with the stuff. I don't know how often he came to church, but a while after that, I see him coming up the front of our steps. This is in Ohio. And he's, he's got his Bible. And I say, Steve, good to see you. How you doing? He says, great, man, I got my instruction manual. He caught it. It clicked with him. And he started reading his Bible. Praise the Lord. It's full of good stuff. It's truth. The Bible is full of truth. So learn who God has made you in accordance with his role for you. We do some things here at Gateway. We can help you in that journey. Just call us at the office, and we'll tell you more. Go online. Right now, I've got to keep going. Second point. Study how Jesus worked and model your life after his example. You think Jesus had a pretty decent work ethic? You think he got some things done? You think he made some impact? You think he had some meaning and satisfaction? I'd say so. I'd say so. Considering here we are 2,000 years later, worshiping, reading his word, trying to learn more of him. I'd say he's had some impact. What better example? Look at uh, Mark 1, 35. Again, with verse 35, it says, before daybreak, Jesus went to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go to other towns as well. I will preach to them too. That is why I came. Now, how did Jesus know that? How did he know not just to jump with, oh yeah, got a crowd, let's go, you know, let's go razzle and dazzle and do some miracles. How did he know not to do that? Because he'd gotten up early while it was still dark. He spent time alone in prayer, communion with God the Father, and he got his marching orders, and he already knew his mission before others started tugging at him, okay? Jesus was not a people pleaser, folks. He knew his mission. He served people, he cared for them, but he didn't let them set the agenda for himself. And if, folks, if we don't have an agenda and purpose for our lives, guess what? Somebody else will set it for you. From my perspective, I'd rather do God's agenda and please him and let others dictate to me what I'm supposed to do. Go a little further in, uh, in John chapter 4. This is a great passage. You don't have it on the screen. But in John chapter 4, you remember that's the woman at the well. At the beginning of the chapter, it says, he had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. No, he didn't. There was other routes to Galilee. But in the spirit, in obedience to God, he had to go through Samaria. He stopped at the well in Sychar, remember? And the apostles, they ran into town to get food. Who was at the well? A woman who was really struggling. And Jesus spent some time with her. You know, folks, we got to slow down. That message two weeks ago about Randy, slow down. We're way too busy. You know how difficult it is when I have a need? Someone calls a church and say, we have a need for this. You know, I need somebody to help with some transportation or babysit or this and that. You know how hard it is to find people? Someone might help out in an emergency. Folks, it's hard. We're way too busy. Slow it down. Our, our lives, what God is doing, what God directs us to do, 
is not just about us. You ever think you might be the answer to somebody else's prayer? You may be in a situation you don't like. Is it just possible that somebody in that situation needs to see Jesus in you to learn a little more about the Christian life? They They never step in the gateway or another church. They may never pick up this book. You may be the only Bible they ever see, okay? Just slow it down a little bit. When I, get, I get frustrated at the airport when I want to move on to something else. I, I remember Spirit talking to me. I can write, we had a line shack. We looked out over the flight line to watch the aircraft coming in. I remember it's like the Spirit telling me. I was, you know, I'm, I'm kind of arguing with God. And he says, Tom, did you ever think that these guys need to see Jesus lived out in their world? No, I guess not. Just maybe he had me there for a purpose so other people could see in their world. Who in your world needs to see Jesus in their world? Think about it. Okay, so slow it down. Take time to be kindness and gentleness are virtues to be held up in, in Scripture. Make sure we're not just on our own agenda and, you know, and have our people eyes on and compassion. I worked with a uh, CPA up in Ohio, joined our men's ministry up there, named Jeff, and Jeff had become a believer later in life. It was actually through uh, his daughter, his young daughter having surgery. He had a point of crisis because she could die. That Through that experience, he came to life in Christ, became a pretty zealous Christian. And Jeff told me, being a CPA, he was a nice guy, and he'd take care of business. But he said after he became a Christ follower, he said people would come into the office to do their taxes, and they would start telling him their problem. And he said the old Jeff would say, that, that's nice. Give me your uh, Form 243. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, Give me, give me this uh, work receipts. He said, all of a sudden, he felt this strange feeling of compassion. He actually started caring for these people, and feeling sympathetic and offering some hope. What happened? Spirit of God, touching him, putting on his eyes the compassion, okay? Remember, slow it down. God has people all around us. You remember in that, that episode where the disciples, remember, they ran off in town, got the food, and Jesus talked with the well, and the way he revealed himself to her, she knew he was the Messiah. She took off out of town and brought others. In the meantime, the disciples are saying, eat, master, eat. Remember, you're giving him food. And he says, he says, no. He says, I have food you do not know of. And they start asking one another, well, who gave him food? They're thinking physical bread and fish or whatever, right? And Jesus finally says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. There's a lot there, folks. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Rather than feeding on physical food, Jesus said he got greater satisfaction by filling that need with God's will, doing God's will, and having a greater satisfaction by doing God's thing rather than just feeding his mouth or feeding it in some other way, whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, you know, some form of escape, you know, Gambling, workaholism, you know, I don't, get a, I don't get accused of that, but, you know, work can be an escape, and there's all kinds of things we can do to, to, to try to meet that need, right, and it doesn't work. And he says, my will is to do, or my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's where the satisfaction is, a greater satisfaction that we can't buy, we can't fix. It comes from communion with God and fulfilling his purpose, doing what he's called us to do. Thirdly, I want to go on here, trust the Holy Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit to guide you uh, to do God's will. And that comes from Philippians 2. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's Philippians 3. I think that might actually be supposed to be Philippians 2. I may, may have gotten that wrong. 
It says, anyways, it says, dear friends, work hard to show the results of your salvation. It doesn't say work hard for your salvation. It says work hard to let your salvation be shown, right? Big difference. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working with you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. Folks, this is powerful, okay? It says God is working in you, giving you the desire to, and the power to do what pleases with him. It's a cooperation with God. I mean, when you talk about spiritual concepts there, you know, they can be abstract. You know, who's doing what? You know, some people, two extremes to me are, well, some people say, you know, let go and let God. You know, I'm just a mindless blob. I'm just this amoeba being shoved around the universe. God's in control. It's wonderful. Oh, let go. Okay, that's one extreme. The other one is God helps those who help themselves. All right, I'm going to go out and do something in the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah, bless me, God. I'm going to do this for you. Folks, if you haven't figured out by now, throughout the history of the church, there's a lot of things done in the name of Jesus that he gets blamed for that he's had nothing to do with. You realize that? Next time somebody brings up some garbage the church did six, 700 years ago, you know, remind them of that, okay? Just because somebody says they do something in the name of Jesus doesn't mean he's in it, Okay? Let's get real, okay? Things are done in the name of Jesus when we submit ourselves to his lordship. We confess our sins in need of him. We humble ourselves. We work together because he's the head, folks. We're the body. We're all to cooperate together under his lordship and submission and do what he's called us to do. That is when the name of Jesus is glorified. That's when good things happen. And there's a joy. There's a satisfaction. I don't know better satisfaction than the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, flowing through us. You know, it's good. We'll cooperate with God. Who's doing it? We're both doing it. We're working with God. Paul said in Colossians, he says, I work, I struggle, I labor according to the power of God that mightily works within me. Who's working? Paul or God? Sounds like both of them are. He's working according to God's power. In Galatians 2, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now, I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of Christ who loved me, gave himself up for me. Who's working? It sounds like both of us, right? God and us. He calls us into relationship, into community, into obedience and flow of the spirit that he has for us. That's when life is good. That's when the stress level comes down. When we're working in unity with God, avoiding those extremes. Remember, I'm going to just get a few points we wrap it up. God is more concerned with my character than he is with my career. You see examples all through Scripture. Moses, David, Esther, Joseph, people had to go through a lot of stuff and a long wait before they were prepared to do what God called them to, before they were prepared to a level of leadership and influence. It's not a quick track. Too often we want quick track. We follow the, the executive model of climbing the ladder. I should be here by this stage or this and blah, 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 blah. Folks, that's not necessarily God's will. It's not necessarily his plan, okay, for us. If we're faithful in little things, he said he will give us more. But don't pass up that he's more concerned what's going on in here than he is with just our career. When I got to uh, uh, Pope Air Force Base in the spring of 1985, I was miserable. I made a mistake of falling in love with this little girl named Debbie and uh, wrote her this real nice letter before I went to the basic training. 
Guess who I didn't hear back from all through basic? Guess who I didn't hear back from all through tech school? Guess who I finally heard back from at my duty station about six months later? Debbie, and it wasn't, it wasn't a dear John, it was a dear Tom letter, and we're just friends. <sighs> After six months, I even send her flowers on Valentine's. Six months, I finally get a letter, we're just friends. That was a bummer. I never lived in North Carolina before. The allergies were killing me. I'm wheezing, sneezing. Um, you know, if you're anything about the military, when there's not work to do, what do you do? You do these details. You're, you know, you're pulling weeds. You're picking up the parking lot. It's already been picked up three times. You're out there cutting grass or whatever they got to do. I was absolutely miserable. What option do I have? Well, I could, I could try to quit. The guys that tried to quit ended up in what we called Charlie's Chicken Farm. CCF, Confined Custody Facility or something like that. They marched around the base with construction helmets on and, and wearing belts with canteens. Well, that didn't look like much fun. So I had to persevere. Folks, too often I think we... Parents, we give our kids the easy track. Oh, we don't want to make Johnny, oh, it's so tough on little Johnny. We don't want to make too hard of a path. You know, he's going to, we got to help him out. We got to do this. We got to do this. You know, character is formed through tribulation, the scripture tells us, through persevering. Okay? I was, I, my turning point was one night, I think it was a Wednesday night. I'm sitting in a dorm room feeling sorry for myself. Across the street is a chapel. Wednesday night, there's probably something going on over there, right? What would Jesus do? Well, he'd probably go over the chapel. What the heck? I walk across the grass over to the chapel. Probably wasn't supposed to walk on the grass. I did. <sighs> Get there. They got choir practice going on. They asked me if I want to sing in the choir. Guess so. Start singing in the choir. A little while later, they said, we need, we need Sunday school teachers. Would you, would you teach Sunday school? Yeah, I guess so. I'll do that. Got to meet the uh, chaplain, Ron Gavin. Great guy. I don't know where he is today. And he found out I had a couple of years of Bible college. He says, hey, how would you like to lead the Protestant youth of the chapel, the youth ministry? Guess so. So for the next year or so, I'm involved. This, 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 this group of people became my family away from home. They would invite me into their homes sometimes, have meals. You know, we do things together, go on little outings, go to baptisms, whatever. And uh, it really took my, you know, experience there to a whole nother level. And then, you know, about a few months after that, I met this, this little gal named Julie, who, who uh, I, uh, we used to, what, sit in the chapel parking lot and have talks. We had deep discussion at night in the, and somehow we got married and came, took off to a whole other level. And the people that we knew from the chapel, the people we knew from the fellowships, we started having fellowships in our house. We started having 15, 20, 30, sometimes 40 people of uh, Air Force and Army and friends just coming together for fellowship and Bible study because they didn't have a place to go. You know, our church is trying to reach out to Ellington Field here. There's a lot of folks out there that don't have any friendly don't have family around, don't really know where they should go, don't know, you know what to do sometimes, guess where they're going to hang out? They're going to be at the NCO club, they're going to be at the bars or something worse. That's usually where they end up, folks. And uh, Pastor Randy and others, Steve and Linda, stand up for a moment. These two people here, if you have any heart for our military, talk to Steve and Linda Parr. They are doing something about it. It's nice to talk. Say, oh, it's terrible, the PTSD and blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's a terrible thing. Well, what are we doing? Steve and Linda are doing, folks, so get on board if you have a heart for them. There's a lot of things we can do, okay? It makes a difference. God's more concerned with building character and faith than what I'm doing. Remember the motive. More important than what I do is the motive. Remember Randy said, what is the motive? Love. Last week, love is always the priority. 1 Corinthians 13, if it's not done by love, it's not going to have any lasting value or benefit anyways. It's got to be motivated by love and the love of God. God's love, Romans 5, 5 said, God's love is poured out within our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not only a gift to God's love, the 
Holy Spirit empowers us to show his love. Sometimes it's by faith. You know, if you're like me, you know, I don't always have these great, wonderful, loving feelings. I've been fighting a sinus headache for two or three days, you know, but I know God wants me to show love. And I know when I'm starting to get grumpy, my wife kind of gives me that look. I say, okay, got to, you know, step it up a little bit. I got to draw deeper on the love of God because my love only goes so far. God promises to complete the good work that he has begun in you. Do you believe that? You know, Philippians 1, 6, it says it. He who started this work will complete it in you. I don't know how many people I hear, oh, Pastor, you don't know, I was really zealous for the Lord, and I, and I messed up, and I missed my calling, and now I guess I'm just shoved aside. Where does it say that in the Bible? Anybody know? You know what uh, Psalm 37 says? When I stumble, I'm not cast headlong, for the Lord is the one who holds my hand, who's picking me up. Psalm 86 says the Lord is good. He's ready to forgive. He's eager to forgive. He abounds in love and kindness to everyone who calls upon his name. Where does it say he's done with you? I don't see it. You come up here and show me that in your Bible. God's got something for you to do. He doesn't make junk. He didn't waste knitting you together in your mother's womb so you can just live a selfish, self-pity, whatever life. He's got something good for you. Get freed up. Okay, what did Jesus say? Truth will set you free. Do you know God's truth? Are you spending time in this book, folks? It's life. Jesus said it's the way, the truth, and the life. It brings us to God the Father. We have peace, and we have all eternity in paradise. What more do you need? What a promise we have in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. His truth sets us free. His perfect love casts out fear. What more do we need, church? What are you waiting for? It's time to serve the Lord together, one body under the headship of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Woo! Randy Hagan will be back in this pulpit next Sunday. Will you be with Randy? Will we honor our senior pastor? Randy's a heck of a nice guy. He's too nice of a guy. He, I should, he should come down on me a little harder now and then. We got to lift up our senior pastor. He's got a compassionate heart. He loves the Lord, folks. He seeks the Lord. When he gives a vision, it's because he's been spending time with Jesus. It's just not ideas he's coming up with. He loves the Lord. He loves us. He loves Gateway Church. There's so much more we can do. Would you pray with me? Father God, thanks for loving us. All things are good in Jesus Christ. He is everything, Lord. We know it. And it's through Christ we are made complete. The Holy Spirit, manifest your life. Let us not grieve you. Let us not keep our, our light under a bushel basket. May we cooperate with you. Manifest your spirit. Manifest your life, Lord. Help us to see ourselves as you see it. Help us to understand our gifts, our personality, Lord. Help us to slow down, to lay aside our personal agenda for something greater that you have for us, Lord. We may not know exactly what it is, we can pull together. We can sure, Lord, walk together and do it together. And we can have a good time along the way. Lord, your word tells us that in your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand are pleasures forever. May we commune with you. Will you reveal yourself to us in our inmost being? Lord, may we hunger for your truth. Feed on your word more than physical food. May we feed first our spirit. We may, Lord know you and love you and do your will. In the name of Jesus Christ.
God bless you. Hope it's a good week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.